0: Well, Mr. Putin destroyed a Goldilocks moment on Friday. Markets were enjoying a very nice outcome from the payrolls numbers in the United States, with wage rises easing and more people piling into the jobs market, easing the tightness a little. All good, but then Russia announced the Nord Stream pipeline will not be reopening for now, possibly for the winter, and that could have big implications for Europe, obviously. And China, 65 million people in lockdown right now, and three key central banks meeting this week. So there's a lot going on. It's the morning call from NAB. It's Monday The 5th of September 2022. Good morning. Well, US stocks fell further on Friday, 1% down for the Dow and the S&P 500 and 1.3% for the NASDAQs. Uh, in fact, since mid that, mid-August that mid peak, the NASDAQ has fallen almost 11.5%. European stocks, meanwhile, were doing okay at the end of the week. The Euro stocks 50 up 2.5%, the DAX up 3.3%. Uh, but that could all change today. Bond yields fell in the US. Ten-year treasuries were down six basis points. Two years were down 11 basis points, down to 3.4%. They were down across Europe too, except for a 4 basis point rise for 10 years in the UK. Aussie 10 years were down four basis points to 3.64% on Friday. Kiwi 10 years down nine just four basis points below 4% there now, and the US dollar was down a little on Friday. Actually, it was down 0.6% before the payroll numbers came out, then they bounced right back up again. The two big moves, other moves of of the major currencies were the pound down a third of 1%, the Aussie dollar up a third of 1%, the Kiwi dollar also up 0.4%, but let's not get too excited, because over the week, the Aussie was actually down about 1.4%, the Kiwi was down about 0.6%, and the pound down 2%, the pound dipping below a Dollar fifteen now. It's a smidgen above above the uh, the low that it reached in March 2020. And oil bounced back a little, up 0.3 percent on Friday for WTI Brent up 0.7 percent, up to 93 dollars a barrel. Dutch gas actually fell a little, uh, and uh, you know we expect some reaction now to the Nord Stream pipeline news, but uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's start with non-farm payrolls from the U.S. First of all, on Friday, Uh, here's NAB's Tapper Strickland in Sydney. So it was a good number, wasn't it? We had uh, we had jobs growth. Uh, the Fed would probably like to see that w- weaken, but only to keep wage pressures down. But it seems that's happening anyway. 0.3% growth month on month in August, down from 0.5% in July. And uh, the participation rate is higher as well. More people are ploughing back into the workforce. Uh, so uh, that means a less tight labour market. So uh, doubly good news, really, wasn't it?
1: Good morning, Phil. Yes, you could describe the payrolls report as a Goldilocks print in that you still had fairly strong headline payrolls growth. It was 315000 against 298000 consensus. But some of those signs of overheating just would turn down just slightly. And you mentioned the um, slower growth in average hourly earnings there. And that was one contributor. And the other one was the unemployment rate, which rose two-tenths to uh, 37 from 3.5% alongside that rise in the participation rate that you mentioned. Um, so it does suggest some of the alarms from the labor indicators uh, last week, such as the job openings data, um, suggests so maybe we can uh, not be as alarmed by those, but it still does underscore a very tight labor market. When you look at wages growth on a year-on-year basis, it's still growing at 5.2%. So still, still hot, but at least a little bit touched below estimates and maybe suggestive of the labor market starting to loosen a little bit after being extremely tight for, for quite some time. Um, in terms of how markets reacted to that, um, you saw a fairly sharp reaction across all asset classes. So you saw the two-year uh, bond yield fall by about 11 basis points. Um, you've seen pricing for a 75 basis point hike by the Fed um, in September uh, to fall to about 57% price from around 75% priced, And you've also seen the peak in the Fed funds rate also come down from a high of around 4% um, to around 3.85%. So a pretty sharp market reaction in, in terms of rates. And that also spilled over into risk assets. As you noted, the US dollar initially was uh, knee-jerked lower by around 0.6%. But all those moves in equities and the dollar were completely reversed on those Russia gas headlines yeah yeah um, while while those headlines also helped extend some of the moves in yields further lower so um Yes, a very much Goldilocks report, but I think markets this week are going to be very apprehensive in terms of what comes out of
0: out of Europe. Would you one? Yeah, exactly. And we'll look at that in just a second. Just finishing on payrolls, though. You wonder about how many of those people who've gone back to work are going back to work because they feel like they need to because they need more cash. You know, someone else in the household has has gone back to work. But I mean, so it's good that you know it's it, 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 perhaps the Fed isn't going to have to work as hard. But we've got CPI next week. I mean, that's going to be just as influential, if not more so, isn't it?
1: Oh, definitely. And uh, Powell, when he was, he was speaking, and uh, other Fed officials were saying that they were looking closely at both the labour market and the inflation figures. So next week's inflation figures are going to be as important or if not more important than, than today's labour market figures. And although encouraging and although Goldilocks report it still does suggest the labour market is too tight to be consistent with inflation, getting back to that. 2% level. So still underscores the Fed needs to do a lot more work, but at least markets were encouraged by a, a bit of the hotness coming right. out of the la- labour market, at least according to this report.
0: Yeah, for now. Now, Gazprom, the Russian government, uh, not going to reopen the Nord Stream pipeline just yet well no surprise there whatsoever i mean we had been talking about that last week hadn't we uh, they're saying it's because of difficulties with the turbine but strangely the, the rest of their rather extensive network seems to be working fine uh but just this one they're having a bit of a problem with uh so that knocked out some of the positive sentiment didn't it, emanating from uh from the payrolls numbers even though you know We knew this was going to happen.
1: I think a lot of people were uncertain whether Russia was going to turn back the gas in terms of the Nord Stream flows. Uh, If you recall the prior maintenance period, a lot of people were fearful about whether those flows would would come back on, and, and they did. And in this one, they obviously haven't. So I think a lot of people were caught off guard, and you can kind of see that being illustrated in the equity market. So the S&P 500, uh, after the payrolls report, uh, rallied by around 1.3%. One, 1. And then uh, it actually gave away all that and more, that, more than that and closed well in the red, 1.1%. Mm. So it does suggest people were actually very surprised about Russia um, turning off the, 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 the flows there. At least according to them, it's due to the maintenance issue. But um, just... There's no gas flowing through that pipeline
0: at the moment. Curiously, we didn't see a bigger rise in European gas prices, did we? Perhaps because it wasn't. Totally unexpected, or, or or maybe it's just going to follow this week.
1: I should follow this week. So um, when you uh, so when those headlines hit, they were around two thirty a.m. Saturday, Australia time, mm. and European markets were, were closed. Um, so when you look at equity futures, they point to around a two and a half percent decline in uh, European equities, and uh, gas futures and wholesale electricity prices should should start to spike higher again as well. So
0: uh, Putin was a bit upset about the G seven, wasn't he? Because they've they've agreed to a cap on Russian oil prices. So in And shipping prices uh, would not be available for oil that is sold higher than the price of their cap. But is that? I wonder whether that's something that's going to make much difference. Because I mean, they've got to agree on a cap, by the way, and it's not going to kick in till the fifth of December. Uh, But you know, the the idea that that cap is is going to offset, you know, what's decided by OPEC, Uh, you know, (laughs) because and Russia obviously is part of OPEC Plus. They're meeting today. Uh, I wonder whether that the the idea of a cap is really going to have too much influence on on, on oil prices generally, and and how much of it Russia is getting, because of course you know they're they're doing rather well out of this rising oil price.
1: Yeah, so the um, the Nord Stream cut uh, kind of flows was somewhat linked to the oil price cap proposal, according to some analysts at, mm. at, at least. And um, just worth noting, Russia has said it will not sell its oil to any nations that impose a price limit or a price cap. Uh, and I guess for a price cap to actually work, you need all countries uh, to, to agree, not only just the the G7. And China and India have both shown a very high willingness to purchase Russian oil, um, even though They've got those limits on there uh, in terms of the European and the American side there. So um, at least at this stage, it doesn't look like that oil price cap is is workable if uh, China and India don't uh, play alongside that. And uh, just just worth noting the importance of Russian oil in terms of the diesel market. Um, it's, it's quite important because of the particular grades that Russia exports. And uh, so if Russia said it won't sell oil to nations that impose a limit, then um, you could see uh, quite a large lift in in, in diesel prices. Yeah,
0: it's not looking good, is it, at all for for Europe? So they've got an emergency meeting in Europe this Friday to look at how they cope with a a winter with uh, potentially no Russian gas and Finland and Norway have announced plans to help people cope with rising prices over the weekend. Germany announced 65 billion euros in support for people in their country including 300 euros for Millions of pensioners and a, and a price cap as well for families and individuals. A nine euro ticket. Go anywhere for nine euros on public transport. Uh, so hopefully the public transport will have the heating turned on because, then, you know, then that's how you can keep warm. Just get on a train. Uh, but you wonder about this subsidising energy prices it's just going to keep those prices higher for longer, isn't it? Because it's, it's not actually going to slow demand, which is actually what needs to happen. I mean, if they keep doing that, then surely they're just going to find themselves heading towards rationing and uh, what impact that's going to have on the economy.
1: I guess just given the how far gas prices have risen, you do have to provide some support to, to households and maybe to businesses in, in particular. But um, if if you can't get enough supplies of gas, then you do have to ration uh, uh, ration the gas mm. output there. And just worth noting, a number of European manufacturers are saying that they're actually going to be reducing production capacity amid the energy crisis, just given how high those prices were. And um, ArcelorMittal, which is one of the world's largest steelmakers, said it's going to close two of its plants in Germany amid those soaring electricity prices. Uh, when you look at the news headlines, you look, you look at Twitter, there's um, just filled with a number of different companies right around Europe just saying that they're going to be reducing production or, or closing up shop until they get more more clarity in terms of the energy crisis at, at, at the moment. So the one interesting particular feature of what's been going on is a resilience in European data and indeed in many bits of data right around the world, particularly from consumers. And you just have to look at the recent German retail sales report. Uh, the kind of anecdotes we're starting to see is suggestive of businesses starting to react to those, those higher prices, starting to choose to ration um, out, um, output. And uh, a lot of that Production capacity starting to be impacted by higher uh, uh, high electricity prices. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, because yeah, it's it's taking a long time, hasn't it? It's been a long time coming, but maybe it is turn, turning around now. Because if you you know been talking about you know the the situation in the UK, and it sounds dire, but you go into London and it's buzzing. You know, people are out and spending. But the pound down to a dollar fifteen US dollars now. Will it get lower? Will it break the March twenty twenty level? Because last week I was saying you know it was heading that way. And uh, you know, if it goes beyond that, then we're back to the uh, back to the 1980s. Uh, is it going to get lower? Because they've got a new prime minister, Liz Truss. I don't think there's an enormous amount of confidence in in her as a as a leader. And you know, she's got some strange ideas, like she wants to cut tax to increase demand at a time when inflation is. Uh, difficult to control. It doesn't seem like a very sensible decision. So there, is there some market reaction to Liz Truss becoming the Prime Minister, do you think? Well, I think
1: markets probably anticipate Liz, Liz Truss of becoming Prime Minister, just given most of the polls, according to the Tory yeah. party, were kind of uh, pointing towards the, that way. And the way markets tend to react to these kind of things is uh, they look to see what they actually say once they become a political leader. And you can kind of see this when, when Trump was elected, a very harsh political rhetoric during his, his campaign period. And then he gave that um, – the acceptance speech um, on election night uh, back in the day, and markets rallied and rallied quite sharply. Given he said a number of positive things uh, in in his election speech, so um, I, I think people will be looking quite closely exactly what what she says, um, and maybe some of that harsh political mm. rhetoric will, will will soften once once she uh, government once she becomes PM. Um, in, in in terms of the UK, <laughs> uh, this the situation still looks very very dire. Um, rapidly escalating energy prices. Um, but the interesting thing, and again, with the rest of Europe, is you haven't really seen too much of a deterioration in the harder data yet. Um, so uh, um, no. it's, it looks like it's still still to come. And in that respect, uh, you would have to say there's a further downside to, to cable from here.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now, China, more lockdowns going on.
1: Uh, yes, a really interesting story and probably not getting too much uh, press uh, at, at the moment, really being overwhelmed by what's going on in with Russia and, and Ukraine. But at, at the moment, according to Kaysen uh, News Agency, there's 65 million people in China in lockdown in 33 Chinese cities. And just worth noting here, other cities are also tightening restrictions ahead of the Party Congress on 16th of October. And that's quite an important date, the 16th of October, as that's when President Xi is expected to be elected to a historic third five-year term. And given that President Xi has linked his uh, term, his, his second term to the COVID strategy, um, a lot of party officials are playing ball and uh, basically supporting that strategy up to that 16th of October meeting. So uh, wouldn't be surprised to see more headlines of further restrictions in the lead-up to that event. And that will act as a disruptor to, to global supply chains and also create fairly soft conditions for the global economy as well.
0: Yeah, and what about weakness in the yuan as well? Is that going to get up to 7 one to the, to the dollar? Do you think there's a piece in Bloomberg this morning, you know, just pointing out how bad that would be for emerging markets because emerging market currencies are already having their worst year uh, since 2015, they're saying. And, of course, a lot of those emerging markets are reliant on, on China for trade, and a weaker yuan is just going to pull their currencies down which, of course, is going to make imports more expensive, which is going to add to the inflation problems in those countries.
1: It, it looks like the PPSC is becoming uh, less comfortable with w- the way the yuan is, is trading. They've been setting the fix stronger for, I think, about seven consecutive days now. Um, so at least the mm. Chinese authorities don't necessarily want to see it. Um, but you'd have to say that that depreciation pressure is is there and is going to continue uh, for as long as all that uh, zero COVID strategy um continues to play out, which at least according um, to the election date of that uh, party, Congress, uh, could go until the 16th of, of October and then thereafter it's it's more mm. uncertain. All
0: right. Well, we'll get the Kaijin uh, Services PMI for China today. Uh, Also European retail sales. The big news this week, of course, are the central banks, the RBA tomorrow. Uh, Ivan's going to talk about that tomorrow morning on the podcast and the ECB on Thursday as well. A bit of uncertainty about what each of them is going to do, isn't it? I mean, we we really can't tell at this stage.
1: Yes, so um, the... ECB, I think the market and economists are fairly split on whether they hike by 50 or 75 basis points. And you'd have to mm. say the, the Nord Stream um, headlines uh, probably doesn't give any further clarity in terms of whether they should go by 75 or, or, or 50. Um, the Bank of Canada is expected to go by another 75 oh, basis yeah. points and they're expected to get to 3.25%. And our expectation for the RBA is that they'll hike by 50 basis points. And then the key focus really is, uh, will the RBA start to pull back on the pace of tightening and hike by lower income increments going forward and again just like the data offshore um, you can you can feel the weakness that's starting to develop from the monetary tightening and from the higher energy prices and inflation but you haven't actually seen it in the hard data to date um, so the hard data has proved very resilient there so in that environment do central banks just continue to tighten until they see um, hard data starting to, to, to soften? And that's what we'll be looking yep. at for quite closely in Governor Lowe's remarks on Thursday. Very good.
0: All right, better leave it there. We've talked for long enough. Good to talk, Tapas. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Phil. And that's how things are this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.